I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, the tennis podcast by fans on today's Australian Open Round 2 catch-up. Defending champion Sophia Kedin suffers an early exit. Rafael Nadal eases through whilst heckled by a spectator. And an all-Italian fight breaks out on the John Kane Arena. Kim, round two is now complete. We know all of our singles participants for round three, but I think getting there, certainly it had a few big upsets. We had some nearly big upsets as well. And I think generally speaking, we had plenty of aggro on show over the last couple of days, either uh, curiously, either between players, but also between players and fans as well. Yeah, I think some people had been having a few too many beers or, or wines. Or tequila. Or tequila in, in the crowd, yep. Uh, and then as for the players, well, they didn't need alcohol to get, get themselves going after after their match. I mean, Fognini and, and Caruso, which we'll get onto a bit later, they uh, they were having a right old Barney at the end, <laughs> which was, uh, well, for those of us who, who know Italian, probably made sense but for the majority of us who didn't well there we, we didn't have a clue that what they were going on about but um yeah there's lots to talk about Joel agro included but I, I suppose let's start with today let's start with day four and then we'll look back to day three a bit later on on today's episode I suppose we should really start with the fact that the women's defending champion is out of the tournament in the second round Sophia Kennan was defeated by Kaya Kanepi 6-3 6-2 and to be honest with you, it's not really a shock, is it? Are, are you surprised by this? Because I certainly wasn't. No, I think I was more shocked by the manner of the defeat because it was so comprehensive. I think we didn't see, you know, the, the Kenin we all know in, in the first round and we felt that this was on the cards. And Kanepi really is a very dangerous opponent uh, for any any player. You just got to ask Simona Halep. Uh, it, it came out this week that... When she looks at the kind of the main draw of, of when she gets to a grand slab, she's always looking at herself in relation to where is Kaya Kanepi? She's that dangerous. And I mean, Kanepi came through 6-3, 6-2. And I think the manner of the defeat, I think, was the most kind of surprising for me. I, I think we all know that kind of Kanepi is a dangerous opponent, but to have to have it happen in straight sets so comprehensively for the defending champion, that was really uh, surprising. And, you know, to kind of see Kenin in her post-match press conference afterwards, kind of very emotional and, and tearful, it sounds that obviously she was very unhappy and almost frustrated, I think, that she wasn't able to execute her game plan. Yeah, I mean, she's an emotional player at the best of times. But when you're defending, you know, your first Grand Slam title, I think 
this was almost maybe par for the course. This is why I personally didn't think she was going to do particularly well at this event because she is a player that struggles with nerves anyway. And then you sort of throw all this pressure on her. And to be fair, I don't think even being defending champion, she was the one that everyone was talking about. I don't think people were really expecting her to defend it. But, you know, if you're Kenin, like it's all very well people saying, you know, whatever. But in her mind, she's putting all this pressure on herself. So it's understandable that nerves got to her. And yes, the scoreline was quite uh, limp, I would say, you know, 6-3, 6-2. But I think getting Kai Kanepi is a pretty bad draw second round. You know, like like you said, Joel, on, on her day, Kai Kanepi, she's a very difficult player to play against. And she's actually got a winning record against top 10 players at slams over the last 10 years or so. And has knocked out, I think, Halep when she was number one in the world. And hence, you know, that's why Halep's always looking out for her in the draws. But, you know, on, on her day, she's beaten Wozniacki, Kerber, and, you know, even further back, Jankovic as well, and, and names such as that. So she's, you know, we, we spoke, I think, a few episodes ago. She's she's a kind of in the twilight of her career, age 35, but obviously performing very, very well at the mm. moment. And she just loves a, a big scalp, doesn't she? Because mm. you know we saw that in the in the build up event as well. I think she's a you know a six time Grand Slam quarter finalist, uh, which is really impressive. And I think it's something we almost kind of forget, but it shows. I think that you know she's got the experience that can really kind of upset even the you know the best of players early on in the rounds. I think what this match demonstrated for me when we kind of talk about Kenin is the fact that you know, because she is such an emotional player, I think in that press conference it showed actually how vulnerable she she can be and that actually took me by surprise a little bit and I think that there is you know work there, there to be done I think particularly on the mental side I know that um you know she would have been frustrated in terms of uh, her you know her game on the court but I also think in terms of kind of her mental the mental side and the mental conditioning um, and the psychology aspect, I think there's perhaps more that can be done there, you know, from her side in something to improve upon with Grand Slams, you know, going in potentially with as a marked person in the draw, not as the underdog, because it sounds like she wasn't able to kind of deal with that sort of status or label. And that manifested itself into this, you know, in a pretty big defeat. Yeah, and we've seen this before with players who have won their first slam. I mean, even Naomi Osaka after those first two slams that she won, like she was struggling with with the pressure and, and the status as well. And and Muguruza is another player that, you know, also said that when she went to defend her Roland Garros title, she just like it, the pressure was too much. And I think that's a normal emotion to have. I think I would be the same and Maybe Kenin will be on the phone to someone like Sviontek's sports psychologist, or I think she certainly should look down that route. I mean, maybe she is already, and I'm sure she'd be aware of it as a big thing to improve on. But I think, you know, she had a really good season last year, and we didn't see her have this kind of nervousness, you know, for the rest of, of the year. I think it's just the fact that coming to defend the title is, is another kettle of fish. And I mean, I think, I hope that it doesn't affect her for too too much longer I hope she doesn't kind of get too disheartened as a result of this you know I, I feel like if, yeah she, I just hope she can kind of regroup but um yeah not not a surprise I have to say I, th- I think to some non-tennis fans they might think oh defending champion out second round but I think for those of us who are diehard fans it's not really a massive shock but we we also had some other matches uh 
happening today that, well, potentially could have, well, I mean, the Svitolina Goff match, that, that could have been an upset, could have been, you know, people were thinking, well, Coco Goff do what she did last year and take out a top seed. You know, she took out um, Naomi Osaka last year. And like you said, Joel, the other day, she um, took out Venus Williams in uh, Wimbledon, uh, you know, almost two years ago now. But it wasn't to be, was it? Because Svitolina came through that one in straight set, straight sets in the end. And I think it was a generally very good, very good match. And Svitolina just converted her chances uh, where Coco failed to do so. And, and that was really the difference between the two on, on the night. Yeah, it was a really routine performance really impressive actually i think i think it was the first meeting between the two of them it was a very efficient uh match from svitolina who once she had her chances she was very kind of ruthless and really at those big points she was able to convert and coco goff really didn't have an answer coco goff looked very good i think for you know the majority of the match but svitolina i just think was on a, a a different level, particularly when it came to, um, you know, taking her opportunities uh, when uh, they presented themselves. So, you know, Svitolina, actually, for me, this was a, a victory that I was impressed by. I thought it, it potentially could have gone three sets, but the fact that she did it so routinely, I think other people in her draw, other players around her in her draw will look at that victory to think, you know, she is in pretty good form. And we know, I think, Svitolina is very kind of one of those very consistent performers at any any Grand Slam and she always seems to have it kind of mentally there physically there as well and we we fully kind of expect her I think to kind of go into the you know the second week of the the second week of of Melbourne but um, it was a very efficient performance that will hopefully help her further down the road the fact that she only spent an hour and 17 minutes on the court. Definitely. And she's got Putintseva next, too. She's got a, quite a strong winning record against. So she'll be looking to to at least match her previous, I think, quarterfinal appearances at the AO. Um, and then, yeah, I, I think also, well, let's just talk about the night session that we had today. Because obviously we had Swisslina Goff. Then that went on to Rafa against uh, Michael Moe, who's an American qualifier. Now, the match itself was pretty par for the course. It was a 6-1, 6-4, 6-2 victory for Rafa. He seemed to be all right. I couldn't see any obvious discomfort, you know, from this uh, back injury that he was struggling with. So I'm hoping as a Rafa fan that that's kind of more in the past. But I suppose the most exciting thing that happened was um, that the woman in the crowd, he was heckling Rafa and, and had to be escorted out. Um, one too many, one too many beers, like like we said earlier, I think, Joel. That was so bizarre. I mean, I was watching it on, um, you know, I was watching it on my uh, tablet and there was a pause in play and I thought, you know, we'll just carry on. But it was so, it happened for so long. I think Rafa got his first serve back and, you know, you don't really see that sort of, I think, behavior from fans in the crowd, you know, against, you know, players like Rafa. Um, you know, he's generally kind of well loved. So it was just very odd. I don't, you know, it didn't feel, it didn't feel like that person was a, you know, a massive Michael Moe fan, for example. <laughs> um, but it was just so, um, it was just so out of place. I couldn't expect, you couldn't, you wouldn't ex- expect to see that at Wimbledon. I think it's, it's maybe something, yeah, you could have seen happen at the Australian Open after a few beers, but certainly a Wimbledon crowd, I think everyone would have been in complete shock but because it was in Australia I think everyone was having a a bit of a laugh about it including Nadal himself yeah he was quite smiley about it I mean it didn't really uh, bother him you know he's he's just he's sort of getting on with it but yeah for anyone who didn't see it she um this woman in question 
she said, um, oh, wait, I won't say the rude part, but she said, hurry up, you OCD, and then an expletive, uh, and then gave him the finger. So I'm not surprised <laughs> she was carted off by security. Um, she wanted to make the most of it, you know, get her screen time before being <laughs> being escorted out. If you want to, <laughs> if you're going to go home, if you're going home, go big. And I think that's what she, that's what she did. I liked in the post-match press, uh, presser, uh, sorry, on the encore interview, um, Raffle was asked, oh, you know, there was a woman in the crowd tonight. You, you didn't know her, did you? And <laughs> Raffle was like, no, and I don't want to know. Um, so I think it's just probably best, uh, you know, left put put that one to bed. But yeah, I mean, I was quite pleased that Rafa came through uh, very comfortably and he'll be uh, tested more in his next match, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, just very quickly on Michael Moe, he came through qualifying. So a great result, I think, for him to get to the you know the second round of the main draw, play someone in the calibre of Rafael Nadal. And it will be interesting to see where he goes from here. Um, you know, he's very, you know, it was obviously he's very talented. He's very, I think, passionate and athletic. I think perhaps maybe he's got a bit too much muscle on him. Maybe um, he was, I think he was quite keen to show off the, <laughs> to show off his muscles yeah the guns with his uh yeah the, the sleeveless the sleeveless top but um yeah i think he will be you know kind of looking back on this thinking yes this was a you know very much a, a learning experience for him um on the big stage maybe he's got a taste of it and wants to be back there and, and figure out you know how how he gets into you know the main draw of competitions because at the moment you know uh, sorry the main draw of grandstands because at the moment it feels like he is a very much a challenger level player and he'll, I think, want to kind of improve and get himself up to, you know, the ATP level side um, of the tour um, and make sure he can push for direct entry into Grand Sams. But a really good showing from him. What do you what do you make of the, the sleeveless top? Because I know there are a few other players uh, who, who wear it. I know Zverev is, is one of them. It's I yeah I I don't know if I'm I don't know if I'm a fan of the the sleeveless look but I guess if you've got if you've got guns like Michael Mo then maybe you you should you should flaunt what you've got. Well, I I agree. I think he he does it the best. I, I think it looks I, he's the. How do I wear this, Joel? It looks <laughs> the best on him. I think yeah. I'm not so sure about it on Zverev, but uh, I I mean they can wear what they like. I'm not gonna you know, say what they can and can't wear. But I was thinking maybe if, if Mo's tennis career doesn't work out, I think he could be signed up by a modelling agency. <laughs> Hence, maybe he was, uh, you know, auditioning somewhat. But yeah, I uh, I mean, I can't really go against sleeveless shirts. Rafa used to wear them for many years. Very so true. they're obviously, it's a homage to, to early Rafa days. But uh, yeah, we, we also tonight uh, had on the... Uh, well, I think it was Margaret Court, wasn't it? The Jessica Pagula Sam Stozer match, which was an absolute rout. Blinken, you miss it, sorts of stuff. I, I think I was sort of waiting for this match to happen, and then all of a sudden, I got notification that the match was over. That, that, that's just like how that's how ruthless it was. Fifty minutes, six love, six one. Uh, Pagula's backed up her win that she had over Azarenka, and she's got Kristina Mladenovic next, which I think is also winnable for Pagula. Mm. And then she'd go on to face either Svitolina or Putintseva. And yeah, I mean, I'm really intrigued to see how far she can go because she's sort of been on my watch list for a while. And, and I know Sam Stozer's, you know, obviously not a patch on <laughs> her former self, uh, you know, being a US Open champion, you know, she's a long, long way off that. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. And, and it also interesting, I think we have mentioned this a long time ago on the podcast, but Pagula's parents are, are both uh, into sports. They both own uh, sports teams in Buffalo. So she's got a very sporting kind of 
background behind her, I suppose. Sporting? There's got a rich family behind her. I mean, sporting in a different side. I mean, I don't yeah, know if her parents true, yeah. used to play, but, you know, play a sport. But yeah, she's she's sort of not short of a few, Bob. She's really kind of gracious, I think, uh, when she kind of talked to the crowd, because effectively, you know, she sent Sam Stoza packing. And I think she almost kind of apologised for her win. Um, but the uh, yeah the the the, um, the presenter was saying no no need to no need to apologize and uh, yeah it was a really it was a really really impressive victory and uh, you know I think generally speaking I mean Americans in the the next round I think they've got I think they've got five Americans so they're obviously having a very good tournament at the moment and uh, Pegula is part of that success story um, talking about other countries though uh, let's look at Australia because it was a bit more of a mixed day for Australia in terms of Kokinakis and Ash Barty. Let's, Kim, start with Kokinakis because uh, they are Kokinakis and Sissipas arguably had one of the matches of the day with Sissipas coming through that in a very gritty five-set win, 6-4 in the fifth. Sissipas probably felt like he could have got it done in, in four sets, but Kokinakis, you know, he... You know, he looked fantastic. He, you know, he's obviously had his injury troubles over the last, uh, you know, 12 months or so. But to see him out on the court and play his game and really take it to, to Sissipas with the crowd behind him, it was just a fantastic, fantastic match to watch. And with Nick Kyrgios in the crowd as well, I feel like this is the, it was like the bromance that I, I didn't realise I needed in my life. Yeah, it's like the bromance we had many years ago when they were both kind of bursting onto the scene. And, you know, we haven't seen them, them two of them together, really, because of Kokonak is being out injured all the time, I suppose. But yeah, I was pleasantly surprised by this because I thought it was going to be a bit of a, a route. I mean, I, I just didn't really know what to expect from Kokonak you know, because he hasn't played competitively really for for so long and not, you know, not not so consistently. But yeah, it was it was fantastic. Five set thriller. And, you know, Kokonakis did very well to take it into a, a fifth set because arguably Sitsipas should really have sewn it up in four. But yeah, I woke up and it was um, in the fifth set and it was just, yeah, brilliant mornings viewing of tennis, I have to say. And and also the crowd. I mean, how fantastic. And we saw that with the Kyrgios match as well the day before, just to see the the home crowd kind of fully engaged and the, the crowd got him through, I think, that fourth set, um, mm. you know, when it was, you know, it was really tight in that in that tie break. And it was, uh, you know, it was a real it was a real obviously it was a real crowd pleaser. You know, I think both both players kind of played their hearts out and I think both actually came off court winners. And, you know, in terms of kind of Kokinakis and where he goes next, I just hope he can have a full, you know, full season on the tour because, you know, I don't think he's had a season like that for you know, quite a while. And looking at his game against Sissipas, you'd have to think that if he can stay fit, he, I feel like he has the game to, you know, be a seed, at, uh, you know, in a, in a main draw. I think he is a top 30, um, you know, pl- he is a top, I think he has the game to be a top 30 sort of player. And he doesn't have, hasn't really had the, the time to do that over the last kind of few years. And it would be great, I think, to, yeah, see that sort of, bromance stroke I guess rivalry between Kokinakis and Kyrgios kind of re-emerge because I think Australian tennis has almost kind of been taken over by um, you know it, it, it kind of did start with that sort of Kyrgios 
Kokinakis, um, these are the, the future. And then it kind of shifted to actually, no, it's Alex de Menor. So I wonder if, you know, if Kokinakis can come back in the fold, Kyrgios form, uh, you know, improves as well. And after, of course, after taking a, a year out, um, you know, Australian tennis, particularly at the, the top end of the game, could be in, in really good shape. Are you not forgetting John Millman, everyone's favourite <laughs> favourite Aussie? Very true, very true. Uh, no, I James know what you Butler mean as well, of course. Yeah, Jordan Thompson and, and his moustache. <laughs> yeah, um, but no, I, I think yeah. I mean, can, can we say that the cock is back? I, I hope so. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think he's a very entertaining player, and also him and Kyrgios in the doubles, very entertaining partnership. And their match, I think their doubles match was was potentially due to be on, uh, but it got delayed and there was, you know, um, also because of the rain and everything. But um, yes, really enjoyable. I mean, what do you think of Sitsipas though? Do you think it's good that he's had this early test? Uh, I think, you know, as a as a top, one of the top seeds and one who is likely to go into the deep stages of the tournament, I always think it's good to have a bit of a test uh, in an earlier round so you're kind of primed for it come the quarters or the semis. But do you think this will hold him in good stead or do you see concerns over the fact that he went to five sets with Kokonakis? Um, no, I think, as you said, I think this will do Sissipas the world of good in having that, in having that test going to five sets, you know, feeling that particularly, I think, in front of a crowd that, uh, you know, at times obviously was against him. I think, you know, he had all of the sort of elements there, um, in that match that he got a taste of that if he does want to go, uh, you know, deep in this competition, he'll have to overcome, I think, in the future. And, you know, I think the fact that I think he could face, well, he will be facing Mikhail Emir next of Sweden. Don't think that uh, is going to be as great a test, arguably, as Kokinakis, uh, famous last words. But I think with that kind of in, in the third round, that I think potentially should be a little bit more straightforward. So um, I don't think we're going to see as much of a five set hangover from this match into round three. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it's, I think it was good. I think he looked, I think he looked great. I think it was just generally a very entertaining match. And I think both, both players deserve huge credit for that. Absolutely. And we also, for, for Aussies and home hopes, we had, uh, Ash Barty out on court earlier in the day against, uh, fellow Aussie Daria Gavrilova. So, well, Barty had a bit of a tougher match than her first round where she didn't lose any games. Uh, she came through 6-1-7-6. So yeah, that second set was, um, quite tight and I think she'll be glad to get through the match in, in straight sets. And she did have a bit of strapping on her thigh, did Ash Barty. So, bit of concerns that wasn't there in the first round was it no i don't think so and she was asked though if everything was okay and she said that she was as fit as a fiddle and good to go so i i don't i mean why would you have strapping if there's not an issue but maybe it must be very minor I've, I've got to be honest, I watched some of the highlights of this. I thought it was a pretty ugly match um, from Barty mm-hmm. and also from Gavrilova. I think between them, Barty, 34 unforced errors. Gavrilova, mm. 29 unforced errors. Uh, Barty also had six double faults. This is a match I would have expected, you know, from a player who's had a year out for, uh, from playing tennis. And I think, you know, she's going to have to play, of course, she's going to have to play a lot better um, if she wants to, you know, go 
you know reach the final or whatever but i think this was a death you know this this sort of match was just kind of getting through it and getting to the next round was the priority and she's able to do that she's able to win ugly um i'm 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 sure she was very relieved that she was able to come through that slightly slightly nervy second set because if that had gone to a decider i think you know it very much could have been up in the air in terms of where it was going to go yeah and and just also a note on gavrilova because she's been obviously much higher ranked than she currently is. She's down at sort of 300 odd in the world, but she's had a quite a bad foot injury, which has ruled her out for a large amount of time in the last few years. So it's nice that she's back and uh, I hopefully we'll get back up to where she, she was in the rankings. But uh, we'll have to see about Barty as she goes through uh, into the, the next round. But let's talk about British players now, Joel, because again, Almost mixed fortunes for um for our last remaining Brits, Heather Watson and Cam Norrie. So Heather Watson, let's begin with her. She was up against Annette Contivate, who is the 21st seed from Estonia. But actually, although Heather lost, you know, she lost in three sets, six, seven, uh, six, four, six, two. So Heather got the first set on a tie break. I thought Heather did quite well. Um, really pleased she got a set. And uh, I think she's had a really decent tournament, actually, considering she was in that hard quarantine and you know, was locked in a room for two weeks. I think I think she'd be fairly pleased with how she has performed compared to some of her other slams of late. That first set in particular as well, I think she was 3-0, 4-1 and 5-2 down in the tie break. So it was really gutsy kind of display in that first set to uh, to take it. I always kind of felt with this match that if she was going to win it, she was going to have to do it in two sets. And, you know, it was quite, you know, it was quite, um, it was quite interesting, I think, for the majority of those first two sets. I did feel potentially there was a little bit of me that I was getting a little bit excited about uh, Heather Watson getting to the third round. But alas, it wasn't meant to be. Um, I still think, you know, I always feel we always see Heather Watson lose in, in three sets. And I feel like her three set record when a match does go the distance needs to be better um, in order to kind of gut these, you know, these victories out where she's able to kind of do it more consistently and not just do it over a set. Um, I, I mean, having said that, I mean, Contavite is a very decent player. I mean, I think she got to the quarterfinals uh, last year at the Australian Open, coached by Nigel Sears as well uh, for, for British fans. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I think Contivate kind of, I think actually, to be honest, in, in the, in the interview, Contivate said that she wasn't playing her best and, you know, maybe Heather will look back on that thinking there was an opportunity there potentially to go further and go further because she's never she's never reached the the second week of her grand slam and she may have seen this potentially as an opportunity to do so yeah i think at two all in the third set that's where it all sort of went downhill but uh yeah it would be really nice to see her go beyond the third round exactly that is her best performance the third round so uh, remains to be seen we'll move on to the next slam and and fingers across our fingers for heather watson but we had cab nori who came through uh, against roman safulin who is a russian qualifier so cam is into the third round for the first time i think of the aussie open so yeah he came through in four sets drop, dropping the first but uh and they, they did actually have quite a well, a bit of a rain delay, um, sort of, I think, was it in the third set or just after the end of the third set, I think, before they started, yeah. So I think they moved over to finish up on Margaret Court, I believe. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was expecting Norrie to come through 
romance of feeling. Uh, and obviously he's got Rafa Nadal next. So that'll be the first meeting between those two. And I'm really intrigued, actually, to see how Norrie's going to going to do against Rafa. You know, he's a fellow lefty. D- does he stand any chance, Joel? Good question. I don't. I don't think so. I, I when I, you know when I saw him him win, the question in my head was: Is is Nori Nadal? Is that how many games is Nori going to win, or is that how many sets Nori is going to win? I'm not quite sure at the moment. I think it'll be very. I think I'll be I'll be pleasantly surprised if Nori is able to clinch a set. I think he's in quite good form. You know, this match against Safulin, I felt like this was a banana skin. This was a match that. To be honest, I think this is a match he should be winning in straight sets. I mean, yes, Safulin is the, you know, I think he was a junior Australian Open champion, but, um, you know, really given his, his ranking, um, and sort of his inexperience, I think at this level, um, you know, given he's quite, he's quite a young guy. Um, I, you know, I, I felt like kind of Nori was, um, you know, destined maybe for a three set victory, but I think the one thing that might hold Nori back, um, against well of course against Nadal but I think he showed it in this match and I think he showed it a little bit in the Dan Evans matches I sometimes feel like nerves get the better of him whether that's like the nerves of uh you know being on a big point or you know the the situation in in general and uh you know I I felt like this happened in this match as well I think there were kind of a few occasions when um I think he failed to serve it out essentially in in the fourth set and yes it went to a tie break and he was able to 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 clinch it but I don't think he's always going to get those opportunities when you come up against someone like a uh, Rafa Nadal. So I think, you know, if he wants to really trouble Rafa and, you know, maybe take a set, I think he's going to have to not display any sort of nerves and take every opportunity as they come. I don't think he's going to be able to have two bites at the cherry, where, you know, like he, he did get um, in his match against Sefulin. Yeah, I think he'll be hoping Rafa's back might start playing up to have any chance. He, he's currently one and nine against top 10 players. Uh, and <laughs> I think that was in, uh, a win over Isner back in the day. So, um, yeah, at least he's our last standing Brit in, in the singles anyways, obviously getting to the third round. So that's a, an achievement of some sort for Cam Norrie. But um, let, let's finish up on today's action, Joel. We had, uh, as we mentioned in the intro, a bit of a aggro between uh, two of our, well, favourite Italians. I mean, Fabio Fognini, everyone knows Fognini. We know he's quite a drama queen. But also Salvatore Caruso, who tends to get mentioned fairly frequently on this podcast. Um, <laughs> and I, I have to say, Caruso was was winning. He, he should really have probably won this match. I think he was quite a way up in that, that fifth set. And uh, for Fognini pegged it back to a tiebreak and... Um, well, I think they both had match points. Fognini won the, the super match tie break, whatever you want to call it, 14-12 in the end. But I guess the drama of the match ended, but the drama of post-match began because... Kim, the match started after the match. <laughs> I mean, it was all caught on camera. So if anyone hasn't seen it, you can go and, and watch it back. But... uh yeah, they were sort of picked up, on, you know, arguing quite loudly on camera. No one had a clue what they were saying until, you know, some kind soul translated from Italian. But uh, the court supervisor had to step in uh, to make sure that, you know, physical violence did not erupt. Uh, but essentially, I think from from the understanding of, of what happened, it all stemmed from Fognini calling Caruso lucky, um, saying that in, yeah, repeatedly, I think throughout the match that he had been winning very lucky points and then Caruso was kind of like what are you talking about 
and then Fognini saying that, well, can't I say you've been lucky? And Caruso is sort of saying, well, I didn't, you know, I didn't say anything to you in, in the match. Like kind of why are you bringing this up? And Fognini just kind of kept saying like, oh, you've been lucky. Um, can I not say that you've been lucky? I mean, <laughs> it sounds a bit weird, actually. You sort of think, why Why are they even having this argument? I mean, what, what did you make of it, Joel? I thought it was classic Italians, just like, I, I actually wonder whether they were just having a conversation in Italian. And for everyone else who wasn't Italian, it was more like an argument because, you know, there was hand flailing, um, you know, there was finger pointing. Um, it was all very, um, yeah, it was Italian. all very, yeah, it was all, it was very Italian. And I, I always kind of think about, you know, the, you know, all kind of nationality matchups. We're going to get, you know, Oje Aliassi versus Shapovalov. Um, in round three, we had Evans versus Norrie in, in round one. Um, you know, we get loads of French matchups between, you know, Puy and, and Monfils and, and whoever. And I always find it interesting how, you know, when two countries, sorry, when the same country has two players on the either side of the net, how they react with each other. And, you know, I always think kind of with British players when that happens, it's like, yeah, we're mates. We might be mates, but it's business when we, we get on the court. But it's it's just funny how I think yeah, other other players from other nations kind of react in different ways. And, uh, you know, it, it sounds like maybe Fognini started it. Maybe he was in the wrong. I mean, we all know kind of Fognini is this sort of pantomime villain. And he does have this sort of, uh, you know, he does have previous with, I guess, this sort of behavior and, uh, you know, almost as a wind up merchant, I think, um, with other kind of individuals. So, um, I, I mean, yeah, it was just all a bit. It was all a bit. It was all a bit bizarre. I, I mean, I can understand, you know, why it happened because, it, it, you know, both players did have opportunities. The fact it went so, you know, it was so keenly contested, and you know, it only took well, it took a super tiebreak to go fourteen twelve to to finish it. You know, obviously, emotions were going to be running high. Um, but yeah, I'd be, I'd be, I'm curious to see if there are going to be any sort of implications in terms of fines or. Or, or whatever, it probably won't affect, you know, Fognini's bank balance too much or Crusoe's. But I'd be curious to see what if what or if any sort of punishment is kind of retrospectively given uh, by Tennis Australia. I mean, for me, I just think, why did Fognini even even start it? Because he, he'd won the match. Uh, if you win the match, you should be triumphant and, and ecstatic to have come through it. And I'd understand almost if he had lost the match and then called Caruso lucky because you'd be a bit of a like bitter kind of sore loser. But to have won the match and then brought that up, I thought that was very strange. But uh, the classic Fognini, as you said, and... Uh, I think the I think the red mist had disappeared. To be honest, as soon as like they had both gone into their press match conferences, because uh, I do think I do think Fognini sometimes sometimes I think about Fognini in terms of his on court demeanor and his off court demeanor are totally hmm. totally opposite. And I it, like I still feel, believe. I mean, listeners might completely disagree with me, but I still believe that Fognini is genuinely a nice person, completely away from the tennis court, but. Put him on the tennis court, like any, absolutely anything goes. Um, and I think this, for me, this just kind of proved it because when, when they hit, when he had his conf- press conference, it was all a bit, it was all a bit, um, back to normal, really. Yeah, he's uh, he's not like a hardened criminal, absolutely. <laughs> he's a nice bloke, but you know, 
testosterone at the end of that match there. But uh, let's talk about, oh, everyone's favourite uh, elder Spanish statesman, perhaps, uh, Feliciano Lopez. That isn't Rafael Nadal, is that? Or No, Rafa's not 39 yet. Feliciano <laughs> Lopez is, is almost 40. And I don't want to bang, about, bang on about age because oh, yeah, I'd be true. then yep. guilty of we'll be a hypocrites. lot. hypocrites. Yeah. Exactly. But um, yeah, Feliciano Lopez, I was really pleased to see he had come back from two sets down against Lorenzo Sonigo to uh, win through to the third round. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this guy is still still playing, obviously, still doing pretty well. This is his 75th consecutive Grand Slam. I mean, that is just mind-blowing. And to still be having these results and getting to, like, the third round is fantastic. Like, he's 81 in the world and obviously still playing doubles as well. And I don't know, you sort of forget, don't you, sometimes about about Feliciano Lopez, but it's almost reassuring when you see that his name is still in the draw, uh, especially when it comes to the grass as well. But um, yeah, this made me smile, this result today. 75 consecutive Grand Slam appearances in the main draw, I think. That is that is seriously, seriously impressive. I mean, let's go back to Roland Garros 2001. That was his first main draw appearance. And uh, there are only four active players from that draw who are still playing. Kim, do you want to, do you want to have a guess listeners? Maybe do you want to have a guess at who who they are? Who was in that draw in 2001 that is still playing today in, in 2021? I'm, you know, I'm really glad you mentioned the year because I was just about to try and work out how many years <laughs> worth 75 slams was. <laughs> I mean, Carlos Alcaraz wasn't even born, Kim. I mean, oh, that, that, that's yeah, that really puts it into perspective, doesn't it? Well, I, Ro- Roger Federer is obviously still hanging around. Uh, yep, oh, I mean, this would have been like the Leighton Hewitt era. And, you know, he's only just retired, I suppose, really. Uh, who is still going from 2001? <sighs> I don't know. I don't know. I can't. I can't. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I'll put you out. Of, I'll put you out of your misery very quickly. Um, we've got obviously Lopez, Federer, Tommy Robredo, and Nicholas Mahu are the other the other two. So, um, I mean, I think there. Are, I, I think it's just it's just very it's just very very impressive. And as you said, the fact that he's like unseeded now in these draws, I feel like it gets a it gets lost a little bit in the shuffle in terms of how impressive that is just to kind of be there and not only just kind of make up the numbers, but he's actually going on to, you know, win. And he's, you know, now in the third round, Scott Andre Rublev next. I, I can't, you know, after a five set win against Sonigo, I can't imagine that being, I can't imagine that being anything but a comprehensive victory, to be honest, for, for Rublev. But it's still uh, very impressive, none the same for, for someone uh, like Lopez to show his longevity and his consistency through all of those years that even in his 75th consecutive Grand Slam appearance, he's in the third round. I mean, he's been really fortunate, hasn't he, to not have a serious injury that's kept him away because that's just incredible. But actually, I thought Tommy Robredo had retired, but I've just looked, Joel, and he's been playing a challenger recently in, in Antalya, uh, which he didn't do very well at. He's he's 900 odd in the world, but... Yeah, I, I didn't know that he was still going. So that's nice. I always quite liked a bit of Tommy Robredo. Um, but yeah, there we go. So that was that was another nice result from today. And, and just one more thing I want to touch on from today was Carolina Pliskova, because I thought she had a potential banana skin with Danielle Collins in the second round, who beat Pliskova last week. And obviously, Danielle Collins, former semi-finalist here. But actually, uh, Pliskova came through in straight sets in that one. So... 
obviously different kettle of fish now that we're at the slam itself and i just thought oh maybe maybe Pliskova's was gonna be on something here because we're not talking about her but we shall see she's up against mukova next who is another player we've not really spoken about at all so uh let's see how that one goes but i think we're going to take a quick break now but do join us in the second half where we'll be looking back on all the results from day three so don't go anywhere This is The Passing Shot. You're joined by Joel and Kim. And now we're going to look back to day three of the Australian Open, which already feels like such a long time ago, Joel, but it was only yesterday. And um, we have a few yeah, talking points that we want to to discuss. And, and let's begin with, I guess, Simona Halep against Ilya Tomljanovic, uh, which was uh, probably the biggest scare that we've seen for a top seed uh, on both of the draws so far. Halep was 5-2 down in that third set and looked like she was, you know, almost going out there. What did you make of of that match? That was a very that was a real roller coaster match, very topsy-turvy Aussie Open crowd as well. Matteo Berrettini, Tomjanovic's boyfriend also very supportive in the crowd as well. It was a again, it was a very entertaining match. I always for some reason felt that Simona Halep was going to win it despite, you know, what position uh you know she found herself in and it was uh yeah it was a very, but she needed to kind of really dig deep i think to to win that match because tom janovic was playing really well and i just think i just think with tom janovic actually just before we talk about halep i just think with tom janovic in that match she basically showed the best and worst of her because she was playing some absolutely incredible tennis you know very good ball striking from all around the court but when it came to the real you know, when it came to the real moment in that third set, 5-2 up, she just, I think mentally, she just imploded. And that was really, you know, for Halep, uh, I think that is where she can, re- she really kind of has made, you know, is is one of the best, I think, on the tour in terms of, you know, that fighter attitude and never giving up and coming back from these sorts of perilous positions. And to her credit, she she came through. But I do think kind of Tom Janovic did show sort of why, why she's so good, but also almost kind of what, what is hindering her her development. It's that being able to close out these these matches against, you know, really top players to, that's going to, that would put her into the, the next level, I think. Yeah, because I'm sure Tom Janovic a few years ago, when she was kind of first breaking through, was kind of mm. tipped to be like a very very decent player and and perhaps one to to look out for but she's not managed to to build on that and I think yeah probably evidenced uh, in the, in this match just not able to get the job done against you know top seeds in these sort of epic show-stopping matches so yeah 7-5 in the fit uh, in the fifth what am I saying in the, in the third <laughs> set <laughs> uh, I mean I was pleased that Halep came through I, you know I I want Halep to do very well here uh, she does seem to get into these battles quite a lot of the Aussie Open, actually. I remember 2018, that match against Lauren, Lauren Davis. Davis. Yeah. yeah, that was an absolute epic. And I think she had a, a really long match against Kerber, which meant that by the time Halep got to the final, she was pretty tired. So I think, you know, ideally she would want to avoid uh, any more of these this tournament. But I'm just a bit concerned, perhaps, for possible fourth round against Igor Svantec if Halep's not quite at her best if she's going to be able to to survive a, another Sviontek 
matchup. I don't know. But she's got Kudermatova next. So, you know, I think she's got to focus on that one first. Definitely. That will be a very interesting one. And I'm sure a lot of people will have their eyes on that match. I think what I think what helps Halep is in these matches where she is, you know, is down. Um, she's very, I think, very composed and she doesn't really, I think, show that much emotion. And um, she, you know, in again, in kind of talking uh, about it after the match, I think she has a, what helps her is she has a very honest assessment uh, in terms of, you know, how she was playing. You know, she spoke about the fact that, uh, you know, she was uh, she wasn't positive when she was kind of talking to herself when she was you know in that perilous position at five two down in, in the third set, and I just think that sort of that that ability to have that you know that honesty, that frank kind of conversation with yourself and say, look, you know, you're you're playing here, you're playing your tennis is just not good enough at the moment. I think that sort of reflection that she she can she can bring to her game enables her to be like, okay, right, I know it's not that good. What do I need to do? in order to to make it better and i think that honesty that she can uh you know have and, and assess her game with kind of helps her when it comes to figuring out how to beat these players regardless of the you know the the position that she's in yeah absolutely and i i love the way she comes across she's very down to earth so um so i'm quite a fan <laughs> but um we also had somewhat surprisingly as well top seed in the men's and obviously eight-time champion Djokovic uh, against Francis TFO. Now, I said this match was going to be an absolute walk in the park, but it wasn't. Uh... TFO, I almost feel like Borderline had the match of his life. I know he still lost, but I genuinely think this was like, the. I think one of the first times I can recall watching, you know, a Djokovic, sorry, a TFO match against someone who is, you know, one of the best. And he he brought it all he was he, he you know he was uh he was going toe to toe with Djokovic he took him that third set tie break was sort of very nervy and you felt genuinely like if TFO had won that third set and Djokovic was two sets to one down and would have had to have won it mm. in five um it, it could have opened doors for him I felt that he he was uh very yeah very very good today and I would I would love to see that more this season from him because he is one of those players I think particularly in America where perhaps he was a little bit overhyped kind of you know, coming up as a junior, going on breakthrough onto the ATP tour, etc. Um, but who knows? Maybe this match is the start of things in terms of actually he has got the game to really kind of challenge uh, the you know the best the best players in the rankings. Definitely, I, I know what you mean. I think I'd almost discounted TFO because I think there was quite a bit of hype, and he's quite you know he's struggled quite a bit of the last year or so, and hasn't had the results that you know, all the performances that we would have expected. Hence, I had written him off completely. So I think he'll be looking to really build on on this match and, and his performance here. And and I think, you know, in terms of Djokovic, I, I don't think he'll have minded having a bit of a battle. You know, it holds him in good stead for later in the tournament. And uh, I, I just think it's quite interesting what Novak's been saying about the court playing quite fast. And he said that, you know, a lot of other players have mentioned that as well, which I don't know if... Have they done anything to the court to consciously make it faster or is it just because of the conditions? It's just quite interesting um, if that if it has actually changed or or not, because we are seeing um, I mean, Djokovic served 26 aces um, in in that match against TFO, which I don't know. He doesn't strike me as someone who would usually serve that that number in a, in a typical match. I mean, I suppose see they were playing more games um, games in this match, but. 
I don't know. I, I'd have to investigate the differences between his serving stats, like from, say, his average last year. But um, it's just quite interesting. It's particularly uh, noteworthy for Djokovic because he could potentially, in uh, well, in his round three and round four match, could come up against uh, two quite big servers. I mean, he could play Milos Raonic in round four. So, of course, he he was he would kind of hope that the you know the court isn't that fast because that would mean obviously a lot more free points for someone with a big serve like Raonic. But he's also got Taylor Fritz next round, who also has a pretty handy first mm. serve on him, and. You know, if if it is true that you know the courts are playing a little bit quicker, regardless of you know whether it's the the conditions or that specific court or whatever it is, um, that might mean that um, you know his opponents might get a few few more cheaper points and might be able to kind of push push Djokovic a bit more. I will say though, we've we spoke we've spoken before about Djokovic's his tiebreak record, and it is it is exemplary. I think it's one of the best on the tour and he really needed that in that third set when he when he came through after losing um the first tie break in in the second set so it'll be interesting to see but you know, we all know Djokovic is one of the best returners uh of all time I'm I'm sort of expecting him to have an easier ride uh against Taylor Fritz but I'll be curious to see what the 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 ace count is for both players yeah definitely and uh I mean, talking about serving, Joel, I I chuckled to myself when I saw that Sara Arani had made it into the third round because I know you love a bit of Sara Arani serving, uh, but she she no Kim, I love I actually love more Sara Arani's ball toss more than her actual <laughs> serving. Okay, I'll I'll allow you the ball toss. Yeah, well, she had a very good day uh, yesterday because she beat Venus Williams six one six love, which um, was a bit. Sorry to see because Venus injured herself, uh, w- was injured in that match and was really, really struggling and refused. To, she she refuses to retire, basically, um, from a match. So she kept she kept on going. And, uh, you know, it was very sad, obviously, to see her bow out in such a way. But I mean, credit to her for carrying on when she was obviously in, in quite a lot of pain. But, yeah, it does mean that Irani qualifier <laughs> is into the third round. So um, there you go. And um, we also had other notable names uh, being defeated. Yesterday, we had Petra Kvitova losing to Serana Kostea in three sets. Not, I think, a total surprise. Kostea is one of those players on her day who is capable of a scalp like that. And then I suppose more interestingly, perhaps, was Bianca Andreescu bowing out to Suwe Shea in straight sets. Uh, I mean, obviously, Shea playing very, very well and always a tricky player to play against. Very different game. But Andreescu not able to figure out what to do and, no. and not not being obviously at that level required just yet either. Yeah, I watched. I went to bed watching this match and I felt that Andreescu just did not know how to solve the Rubik's Cube uh, that is uh, Suwe Shea in her box, of, her box of tricks on court. And I think this was one of those matches where because... Shay is such a unique kind of proposition uh, when you face her on a tennis court. Um, the fact that she has been out for 450 odd days or whatever, whoever you're going to kind of have as your hitting partner, it's just not going to be able to give you, I think, the, the sort of game that you might face in terms of when you come up against Su Wei Shay. And I think particularly in those sort of opening exchanges, even though Shea wasn't hitting as hard as Andrescu, she was just able to kind of manipulate 
and move Andrescu across the court um, quite, with quite consummate ease, actually. And um, I think that will definitely be a, uh, you know, a, a learning experience for Andrescu in terms of that different style, whether she needs to have a bit more variety. I know other players have come unstuck against Shay. She's just such a unique unique player, unique character on the court. And I think we all saw that as well with the uh, with the post-match interviewers, didn't we, Kim? Yes, because the um, on-court presenter was going on about her age and uh, Sue Wei Shea kind of call, called them out on it because, you know, it is kind of getting a bit long in the tooth, everyone bringing up everyone's age, you know. I know. And uh, <laughs> Shea is... is, Shea is a, I know. It's it's the new motherhood of 2021. Uh, if you're not somebody's mother, you're X years old, you know. Um, so, yeah, good good on her. Venus Williams had the sort of same sort of line of argument, I think. The same line of argument in, in round one. I, I think Rafa Nadal's been sort of, uh, it's been referenced to him in post-match. I just feel like it's quite lazy just now. Yes, we have players who are playing uh, over 35, etc. Um, it's just like, great, let's talk about the tennis. And you know, Shay's performance, I think that should have been the, the, you know, that really should have been the starting point and then the focus because she's just got this such a unique style of style of play that it's just, it's one of those as a fan, I think you just got to watch in person to kind of believe it. And it almost kind of shows you, you can, you can play this way and still, you know, have a, like have a career kind of on the WTA tour and, and beat the, well, and beat a, a Grand Slam champion. I also think it's impossible not to like Si Wei Shea. She's just <laughs> such an endearing person to watch. I, I just think it's if really impossible to cheer against her. Uh, even if she was playing your most favourite player, it's kind of like, oh, but it's Si Wei Shea, you know. Um, so, yeah, like really pleased for her. And she, you know, full, full, fully deserved that victory. Um, I mean, the other big name that went out yesterday was Stan the Man, Stan Mavrinka, losing in five sets after having match points in the match tie break, the super tie break. Uh, Stan was 9-6 up in that tie break and then lost to Marton Fuksovic, uh, 11-9 in the in the tie break. So he'll be a bit disappointed to have kind of blown that one because you'd, you'd have had your money on him, wouldn't you, having those three consecutive match points and, and not claiming the victory. Particularly frustrating for him. Another player, Kim, who uh, had... Well, who saved match points? Who's match points down? Uh, Nick Kyrgios, who uh, had a again a, a rip roaring match, a classic sort of Nick Kyrgios match against Ugo Umber, came through six four in the fifth. Uh, I mean, it had everything. Uh, particular highlight for me: Nick Kyrgios getting angry at the uh, let cord device. Um, <laughs> it was just um, again, it was just a fantastic entertaining match i think it was you know it wasn't the, the you know the most technically amazing but it was it was it was funny to hear i think nick Kyrgios say afterwards that that was one of his you know he was saying it himself that was his one of his own sort of wildest matches um he said that is one of the craziest matches i've ever played which i think by nick Kyrgios standards i think that says something yeah, I was going to say, because he would have played, you know, quite a number of these matches. I mean, Nick Kyrgios on that particular court, you know, the John Kane Arena, formerly Melbourne Arena, formerly High Sense, you know, with a home crowd, very passionate fans, sort of big matches, epic matches. It's sort of become a recurring theme at the Australian Open. And yeah, it was really nice that although we've had 
a year of you know disturbances and you know because of the pandemic it was really nice that you we were able to enjoy a bit of this you know from the comfort of our homes on the other side of the world but just I guess enjoy some of the atmosphere that was coming out of that arena and you know it's been such a strange year but the fact that we kind of got a glimpse of what we used to have I suppose in in tennis was really was really nice and um, I think a lot of people found that quite a I guess a somewhat emotional thing as well watching but um it was really impressive because I mean it was a four hours and 26 minute match and we've got to remember mm. Nick Kyrgios has almost been on the sabbatical for the last 12 12 months or so so um I think that was particularly impressive um given you know the lack of sort of you know conditioning I imagine that he's had you know, being on Twitter all the time, um, in the kind of in his own kind of off season, his five set record though is pretty good. It's eight and two in terms of wins and losses, and six of those have come at the Australian Open, which it kind of suggests to me that he almost kind of he loves those moments and almost he he'd rather get it done. I th- I always feel like he'd rather get it done and draw it out over a really for kind of a five set classic as opposed to you know in a short kind of three set banner and um yeah well he's he's got dominic team next which is going to be one of the i think one of the popcorn matches of round three kim what what do you think what do you think about that because i you know we we kind of always think about nick kyrgios as a sort of unknown entity you know he's very talented and we feel like he belongs at that level with with dominic team but he's never he's never he's never he's not found it there yet do you think do you think that could come tomorrow well, team is obviously, I, I would say, a step up in terms of consistency. And I, I don't know. I think this could, it could, could it be an epic again? It, it depends what Kyrgios is going to turn up, I think. He could be completely shattered. Yeah. And team has progressed very nicely through the draw in his first two matches. He hasn't really broken much for sweat. I haven't really watched much of him, to be quite honest with you, because he's been very solid and there's been nothing really to worry uh, team fans but I, I know I did like what Nick said after the match yesterday he said that he just wanted to go and have a glass of red wine <laughs> because he was hurting thinking about playing team so obviously this match probably has taken a bit out of Nick and I think he's um I mean I'm just I want to ask him what his red wine of choice is actually I'm quite intrigued I think that uh that spectator on the Rafael Nadal match probably heard those heard those words as well yeah, I think maybe she was uh, out there having a glass of wine with him. I don't know. Um, I wonder if they're going to get her details and like ban her from coming back to the site forever. I don't oh, know. Yeah, who knows? Uh, who knows? But we'll see. I'm I'm really looking forward to Kyrgios' team tomorrow. Um, that is going to be interesting. But um, let's let's quickly round up some of the other matches that we had before we finish today. Uh, I guess we we have um, another Australian the other day who, who didn't quite manage to get through, and that was Bernard. Tomic, who was dismissed quite comprehensively by Shapovalov, who interestingly will now be playing uh, Felix Ojeeliasim, fellow Canadian. Um, so that's going to be quite interesting, Battle of the Canadians. I-, I expect Shapovalov will come through that one. Are we going to get a like an all an all Canadian bust up after the match? Like, are, are they going to have to like? do like they're gonna have to be like right we need to do more than the the italians <laughs> yeah the caruso and fognini have set the benchmark now we you know fao and shapovalov are gonna go for it no i think they're generally yeah they're they're good mates um <laughs> interesting i think fao kind of said that 
their very first match back in junior days, he got double bageled by Shapovalov. But Aww. this is, um, you know, this is a very, obviously, this is a very high stakes match. I don't think, I could be wrong, I don't think either of them have been to round four at the Australian Open before. Um, so there's a lot, uh, there's a lot on offer there. And it's, it's funny how this kind of part of the draw, I think, has kind of, kind of uh, played out because, you know, Shapovalov came up against Sinner in round one. FAA in round three. It's like he's, you know, it's like a little battle of all of the, um, you know, the up, up and coming players, uh, to see who, who is the best of them. And I think, you know, it'll be, I'm interested to see. I think Shapovalov starts his favorite, but we'll, uh, we'll have to wait and see. I think it will be aggro free though, because I can't imagine FAA having aggro in any match. Shapovalov, I feel like will have aggro, but FAA just will not rise to it. He, FAA just seems like the sweetest person. Like, I can't imagine him ever saying anything bad about anyone. He just seems so nice, but <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, um, let's have a quick roundup of British doubles because we've actually had quite a few wins in the doubles. Hurrah. Uh, so we've had Jamie Murray and Bruno Suarez winning through in the first round. They actually beat Cam Norrie in, in the doubles again, uh, with his partner, Marcos Giron. Uh, Dan Evans is playing with Radu Albot, which is quite interesting in the doubles. They won their first match. Um, we also had the Skupskis winning through. Um, actually, they beat FAA in, in the doubles. And, and Herkaj, one and of Herkash, your faves. Yep. Yeah, it's quite an interesting pairing. Uh, Joe Salisbury won through as well. Um, also, Dom Inglot. Dom Inglot's back. Um, he's playing with Luke Bambridge. Uh, they also won, so... Really, um, we've got loads of uh, British male doubles players. I think there's a record nine in the draw and they've they've all had quite a lot of success uh, in the first round. And, and Heather Watson also won her first round. She's playing with Leila Annie Fernandez, uh, who is another young Canadian. So, yeah, some some good, um, good doubles uh, success for, for GB going on there. Yeah, some really impressive. Uh, well, it's just a really impressive number of of pairings in uh, you know in the Australian Open main draw men's doubles. I think it's a record uh, with nine, and I you know we're, I think we're kind of sort of expecting. Uh, you know, with people like Joe Salisbury, Jamie Murray, potentially, potentially an Australian Open uh, men's doubles British champion. We'll have to wait and see. But Kim, we were talking about this earlier. The the one doubles match across the men and women's draws that I'm most fascinated for at the moment is we've got Barty and Ash Barty, Jennifer Brady against Sabalenka and Mertens. Mm. I mean, that... That feels like a that feels like a semi final lineup for a, a grand slam in the future, not a doubles uh, second round match. Yeah, I think it's really good actually that um, Barty, you know, is still playing doubles even though she's you know world number one, and and also Kenin is, is entered the doubles as well. So these top players, you know, they're 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 really getting out there and, and making sure they're getting their full time on court, which I really like. And uh, but yeah, I think that brings us to a close for our Australian Open roundup for days three and four the second round we'll obviously be back uh on saturday for the third round action but we've got a couple of um other bits of, of news i suppose caroline wozniacki's announced that she's expecting a baby girl which will be born in june so that'll be really nice um i liked uh serena who's obviously one of her best friends said we're looking forward to olympia's little sister being born so whether caroline is going to set up a social media account for her <laughs> a child as well i don't oh, know that'd be great but that would be fantastic in the future to have olympia playing against i don't know 
whatever Caroline, maybe Caroline, Caroline Wozniacki Jr. Or Serena, whatever. Maybe she'll call it Serena. I don't know. But anyway, I thought that was a nice, nice bit of news. Um, Andy Murray's just won again as well in the Biella Challenger, his second match. So he's going, going well in Italy, uh, which is, is nice. I think I know some British fans are probably more interested in that than the Australian Open. But um, let's have a quick look at the schedule for the third round of Australia because we've got tomorrow, we've got, uh, I mean, what's your pick? I'm thinking Sviontek Ferro might be quite interesting. Okay. From the women's. Shapovalov, Felix Ojeolazim, Jabour against Osaka. I think a lot of our listeners will be interested mm. in that one. Jabour being in our um, collector set. Yes, uh, those are the two. I think those are the two matches my eyes are drawn to are Shapovalov, Ojeh Aliasim, and Onzjabor versus Naomi Osaka. Onzjabor, Naomi Osaka, for the pure reason that we have Onzjabor in our collector set. And I think, like, was it, Kim? Like, 90% of people have, 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 are expecting Onzjabor to go out in round three to Osaka. So I'm kind of curious to see if that does play out. Uh, we've also got uh, Serena Williams against Potapova. I just wanted to say that because, Kim, I know you've got that Dutch player that's that's your favourite name pronunciation. I love saying the surname Potapova. It just kind of, just like the, the, the P sound. that Just rolls off the make. tongue yeah. nicely. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I get you. I, I love I love how certain, yeah, Botic van der Zanschulp. I'll never there forget that name. There it's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've also got, yeah, obviously the team Kyrgios match. It's interesting that they haven't put that on Rod Laver. I think they've just gone for the John Kane arena because that's Kyrgios's showground. So they've moved team out to that one. And actually, first up on Rod Laver, I know we're sort of flying all over the schedule here. Um, Sabalenka against Anne Lee, which would be interesting because obviously Anne Lee, we were talking about quite a bit uh, the other day. So I might... Uh, Try and stay up to watch that one begin. I mean, Kastea versus Vondrusova. That could go either way, I think. Yeah. Shay Arani. I, I feel like Shay's got that, surely. Come on, Shay. That is the most opposite opposite of approaches, I feel like, to tennis on a, on a tennis court. Mm. Like very cool and calm, collected with Sue Shea. And then on the complete other side, you've got Sarah Rani, who's one of a very sort of very passionate, very passion driven player on the court. Um, but yeah, we will see. We will see how all of those matches unfold. Uh, as Kim said, we are going to be doing our next round by round catch up on uh, Saturday afternoon, taking in all of the action from round three. Um, if you want to make sure you are up to date on all of the goings on at the Australian Open, make sure to subscribe to The Passing Shot on your podcasting platform of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, CastBox, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcast, make sure you hit that subscribe button for The Passing Shot. And if you have been enjoying our coverage and you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, make sure to leave us a rating and comment. And if you don't already follow us on social media, then we are available on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Passing Shot Pod. So do give us a follow and a like and tell all your friends and family who are interested in tennis to to give us a follow as well. Uh, you can message us on there or, or you can also send us an email, passingshotpod at gmail.com. And we do love to hear all your thoughts about what, what the goings on in the tennis world are. So yeah, do get in touch. And we will be back, as I said, on Saturday lunchtime for our round by round catch up, uh, looking 
at round three. If you have not been able to watch any of the, the tennis so far this week, we have got our round one catch up available as well. If you just kind of scroll down on your uh, podcasting platform, you'll see it there. But we're going to be doing this all the way through the two weeks at Melbourne. So I uh, hope you can join us for our next one, uh, Saturday lunchtime, UK time. Uh, in the meantime, enjoy the tennis, enjoy the late nights again, and we will see you again soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.